Yes, that makes it my favorite. Because of the leaves and because of the cooler temperatures, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for warm clothes and flannel shirts and jeans and things of that nature. It's fall in western New York. It's autumn. Hi, this is Road Less Traveled Productions podcast called Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano, and welcome to another great episode. This week, we've got Greg Howes, who I happen to be doing a show with right now, Mysterious Circumstances, and it's too late for you to get tickets because by the time you hear this, the show will have closed, but we got some great reviews, great comments from people, another beautiful show by all of the artistic designers at RLTP. I have to thank them and congratulate them on another great show. Diane Burlingame, set design, John Rickus, lighting design, and Katie Menke, sound design. All doing beautiful work once again for the RLTP stage. And let's see, did I forget someone? There must be someone else. Uh, Oh, Steve Brakey, stage manager extraordinaire. Thank you, Steve. Great job, my friend. And speaking of RLTP, we're going to do a little plug for the Bridge program, which is coming up very soon. So I'm going to talk once again to Pete Johnson, who's going to tell us all about it. So please listen. If you have friends who are eligible for the Bridge program, it's a paid internship working at a real theater. Well, I'll let Pete tell you all about it. And then we'll move on to Greg Howes here on RLTP's Off-Road. You're Peter Johnson. You are the director of the Bridge Program. First of all, tell us a little about, one more time, about what it is and what it's intended to do. You know, for those that do not know, it's a 16-week internship program specifically for minority students. You know, and I, I say that students very loosely, young artists that are in the stages of early career development because it's not 100% limited to students, right? It's, it's available for the public. But it's for early career artists, you know, of color, and it gives them an opportunity to learn from professionals, whatever their assigned expertise is, you know, in theater, whether they want to be a lighting designer, a stage manager, a costume designer, script supervisor, any of those jobs that we find, you know, that are collective that we need in theater to be successful, right? You know, uh, one of the things is that we see when we go to productions, we see the actors, right? And the actors get so much accolades, but there's a team of people that are in other departments that, that help make that production successful. There, you know, so this is an internship opportunity for, again, early career artists of color that, you know, to, to get into the theater industry. And it doesn't have to be specifically for acting. It could be any any one of their, you know, the the, the chosen professions for them to learn with a professional, work with a professional, and hopefully uh, transition and make this a career for themselves. When you look at any other career per se, let's say uh, a plumber, an electrician, uh, you have to train with someone, right? You start off as an as, a, as an apprentice, right? You know, in that industry, and then you kind of grow and in, into your own. And that's kind of the same with the arts industry. You know, uh, we're 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 using that same principle with the bridge program to get people real life experience working in the theater industry, and then hopefully be able to network 
you know, with some other professionals and kind of help, you know, kick their career off. So it's not specifically for students, but students who are getting experience at UB or NU or Fredonia or wherever, this is to give them hands-on experience actually at the theater, at the Road Less Traveled Theater, but they'll be working with individuals in all aspects. You know, you talked about what's going on behind the scenes. It reminds me of that I think it's a Facebook meme that I've seen that shows here's the it shows a picture of an iceberg. Oh yeah. Here's the show and above and below the water is this gigantic yeah. and that's everything that goes on under the surface oh, that man. you don't see. Absolutely. And, and and it's a beautiful process to be honest. You know, I think that for costume designers and uh lighting designers, sound designers they're much. They're just as much artists, you know, as as we are, as as performers, right? Yes, you know? and they're in demand way oh. more than we are. <laughs> <laughs> but there's less of them, right? So like, there's more actors exactly. From. So yeah, I mean, they're they're their own artists, and they you know kind of create their own landscapes and their own designs according to what's in their head. And yeah, you know, we want to be able to offer those opportunities. You know, for me personally, just being an artist of color, uh, whether it's been in the theater world or film set. I'm always looking, you know, I have an obligation just as an artist for myself to kind of open the doors for people that have shared similar paths as myself that want to work in this industry. Uh, it's part of my artist statement. It's who I am as an artist. It's opportunities that I want to create, you know, and this program is definitely a segue for that. You well, know, let's um, just tick off the benefits. Well, I don't remember if you said this. It's a paid internship, number one. Yes. Right. You'll be working in real, real world experience at a real theater. You'll be working with a mentor of some kind in your chosen. Now, will they have to choose ahead of time whether they want to go into lighting or costume design or they just want to be in, in acting or will they get a little piece of everything? No, no, they will. They will choose, you know, ahead of time. You know, it's an application process. Uh, once they fill out the application process, they kind of choose what type of expertise that they want. I think that there's also some some wiggle room in there because it's such, you know, 16 weeks, whether if they do it for one show, they want to, you know, look at one area and then another show, another area. It's so it's, it's definitely room for that. Um, so they'll have some type of knowledge and wherewithal of where they what they want to study. Okay, so they might start in something and then get a little taste of, oh, sound design is, is way more interesting than I thought, or, oh, lighting design is interesting. And so they'll be, they'll, there is, like you said, some wiggle room. They'll be able to, to shift around and, you know, they're not locked into something. No, they're not locked in. But, you know, the, the main thing is we, we do want it to be focused. It's definitely an area of focus. You know, mm -hmm. it's, I think it's, it's impossible in 16 weeks to, you know, to teach someone all of the aspects that we go through in theater, right? Like I, you know, as, as long as I've been in it, I've never been a stage manager. I've never been a costume designer. So it's impossible in that time frame to share all of the jobs. So they will have some form of concentration that they have to study. But again, that's going to be something that we kind of, I comb through to find out if it's a true area of interest for them and then we'll allow them to explore. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the deadline for the application, first of all, where do you find the application online? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to the Road Less Traveled website, you can, you know, click on Bridge Program, which will give them, you know, some more information, you know, just about the program. And then also because applications are open now, you will find a portal on the Road Less Traveled website for them to apply now. Okay, that's Road Less Traveled Productions, all one word, dot yes. org. Mm -hmm. Go to the Bridge Program and fill out your application and it is due. What's the deadline? So the deadline that we're looking at right now is is uh, 
the end of November. We're literally in the thick of it now, yes. you know, accepting more applications. So, you know, the deadline is going to be right up until like Thanksgiving, the end of November. Okay. At that point, I'll review all the applications. And then, you know, we'll you go through an interview process with the students and we'll have our selections by the first of the year. So they'll hear by the first of the year. And again, I'm not locking you into this. And we talked about it last time. This isn't just like for one or two people. So it's not incredibly exclusive. You're not really sure what the total number will be at this point. But, you know, take a shot because it's not like. You know, you didn't turn it in your application in early and now you're you're locked out. Take a shot. If it's something that you right. might be interested in, I can't recommend it enough to get in behind the scenes and work with the professionals. It's different from what you learn at college. It's it's not different in its subject matter, but it's different to really be there and be responsible and have to work with a, a team of, of artists around you. Well, you know, I've worked in, you know, in the, the college setting for a while and, you know, the college settings, you know, especially with a lot of the kids that, you know, are taking as theater majors, they're getting some experience. But what happens is, is that sometimes the colleges are very limited in the equipment that they have and the wardrobes that they have and because they're they're within budgetary restrictions as well. Sure. So I encourage students as well to get the professional experience. Right. right. Uh, and that's going to be much different than what they've experienced on an academic level. This is a much bigger audience, much broader range. They're going to have more things, you know, more equipment to deal with. You know, so this is going to be definitely a transition for anyone that's in school from what they've experienced to the professional world. One thing I think we forgot to mention was the transportation stipend. Oh yeah. Is that still part of it? Because especially if it's young people, they're not going to have their own cars necessarily, or they're not going to have, or they're going to have issues about, you know, taking the Metro or whatever. And yeah. there is a stipend involved for transportation. Oh, absolutely. There's a stipend involved for that. We're looking to cover Ubers and, and things of that sort. So there'll definitely be money funds for that. You know, we, mm -hmm. we want to be able to set you up for success. I think one of the things that I've had right now been talking to students, some of the main concerns have been a transportation, right? Sure. You know, yeah. That's the main thing. But it's also, I think, uh, one of the biggest con concerns is scheduling, right? Uh -huh. A lot of students, they may be in school right now and they're trying to say, hey, well, how do I balance this? Well, the good thing about this program is that your schedule is kind of up for your interpretation. You will be assigned a, a mentor uh, to work with that mentor. But it's, if you and your mentor are able to work out a set schedule, who am I to, to intervene with that? So again, it's something that can be very loosely based around you and your mentor, you know, whatever you guys decide to work out, if it's a Monday or maybe next week, it's Wednesday and Thursday, or, you know, however your schedule is, it's not like an academic setting where they say Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, it's, you know, six o'clock, you have to be here. Right. Uh, it's open, you know, and, and we have that flexibility. So even with some of the students, because they've had scheduling concerns, all that can be worked around if they're dedicated to the program. Okay. The one last question. So is there an age range where we talked a little bit about students, but you said it doesn't have to be for students. Uh, is there an age range we're looking for somewhere between 18 and 70? You know, to be honest, here's my, my thinking behind that. Age limit doesn't necessarily put you in a box when we're talking about early career artists, right? You can be 70 and still in the early stages of your, of your artistry career. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I agree. It's to help people get in the door if this is what they want to do. So uh, the only age limitation that we put on it right now is that you have to be 18. Okay. At least 18 years of age, only because, you know, again, we're looking for seriousness, 
We're looking for our time commitment and we're expecting people to kind of branch off and go into a career with this, right? But mm -hmm. again, if you're 70, you're not excluded from this because sure. you can still be an early career artist, even at 70 years old, it's just a transition no, age doesn't define that. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we pointed out that, you know, if there's an artist of color in his 30s or even his 40s or whatever, you know, and this sounds like something, oh, it's only going to be young kids doing that. It's not. You're not going to be eliminated from the process because you're not a college kid. Right. No, no. That's something that we definitely want to stress. You know, it is available for college students, but this is a community outreach program to say, whoever you are, if this is what your interests are and you're looking to pursue a career in this, then this opportunity is available. Sounds great, Peter. Thank you very much. Maybe we'll talk to you again when you've got the whole oh, yeah. group of people together and we talk about how it's going. Maybe we'll even interview one of them and find out what's going on. Hey, that'd be great. Thank you, my friend. Oh, quick, I want to ask you, what show are you doing at Road Less Travel this year? Uh, this year I'm going to be doing Sweat. Sweat, okay. Sweat, you know, Victoria Perez is directing and she's absolutely brilliant. She can't go wrong with her. You I can't mean, go wrong. I'm looking forward to seeing you on stage again, my friend. You take care. I'll see you around somewhere, if not uh, for sweat. All right. Have a good day. Thanks, buddy. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Pete Johnson and all of that information about the Bridge Program. Go to RLTP's website, roadlesstraveledproductions.org, and check it out. It sounds like a great opportunity for someone and maybe many someones. And now, Greg Howes. But I have to tell you a little bit about this first. First, I have to just quick apologize that my microphone seems to have... <laughs> turned off in the middle of this or something. I don't know, all of a sudden it sounded like I was talking from the bottom of a well. Now, just by way of introduction, Greg Howes is a very popular, in-demand actor in Western New York. What a talented guy. He's also a DJ and a musician, and uh, we'll let him tell you more about himself now. Also, I want to tell you that we start talking about a musical instrument that Greg plays and all of a sudden, you'll start to hear that sort of come in a little later on. And what that is, is Greg himself playing this musical instrument called a Rav Vast. Here's Greg Howes here on RLTP's Off-Road. Anyway, so Greg Howes, welcome to Off-Road. We're going to learn all about you today. And anything that you say that you don't want... Uh, <laughs> just, just text me and say, cut that out. Yeah, we edit that out. You're an RLTP ensemble member, right? I am. Yeah, the, the day that we did the, the photo shoot. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what? Here's a question I've been meaning to ask you, and this is really just out of nowhere, but what's the heritage of house? What is the, where does it come from? It, what, what is nationality? Uh, it, do you know? So I looked it up. The actual name, um, it's German. But from uh, the little bit of research that I did, and it is not extensive by any means, is I believe that that might have been the house that my family belonged to. Oh. So their slaves would take their names as well, as a, I, you know, as a kind of a label or a brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's where it came. I don't think that's the original. I know some of my family, most of my family's from Africa, and then some of them from um, Sicily as well. But really, yeah. Sicily, that's mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm sure I have African blood in me somewhere. My oh, yeah. father's from Sicily. But I, I was just curious because originally, the first time I saw you was in uh, 
Louisiana Backeye. Sure. Backeye. Yeah, Red Thread Theater. Yeah. Oh man, that was that was great. I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. And of course, there were lo- lovely dancing girls in it, which always you know helps me. It helps. Yeah, it helps have them. But <laughs> but this is the first time we've worked together, and, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. As have I. It's been great. So anyway, so you're a local guy, right? Were you from Amherst or Sweet Home or something? Originally what, what, what from. I, I looked it up and I remember, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. Originally from Buffalo, but then we, early '90s, '90, we moved out to, um, moved out to Amherst, and I was, you know, Sweet Home kid. So mm-hmm. you know, elementary school, middle school, and all the way up through high school, East uh, East Amherst, or the Sweet Home district. Did you move because of your dad's work or something, or just? Just to get to a, a different neighborhood. Yeah, a uh, different neighborhood. Dad was a state trooper. He was a Marine first and the state trooper. And he always just wanted his kids to go to a suburban high school because he felt they were better. Sure. The school system was, you know, better at Sweet Home then. Because we were living on Gerald on the east side off of Bailey. And the house was nice. I think I think they paid, God, they paid like 25000 for that house back in the day. Jesus. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we lived over there, and we could only play in the backyard, me and my brother James. My brother Ryan wasn't born until 90, 90 or 91, but we were still there uh, back in the 80s. But there was a crack house down the street, uh-huh. and there was, you know, there was violence over there. So he always just kept us in the backyard, and he wanted that opportunity, you know, once we moved out to Amherst, sure. you know, I could ride a bike around the neighborhood. You know, yeah. it was not a problem. and. You know, there's always the networking opportunities. I ended up meeting a lot of people that would be instrumental later on in life, too. Mm-hmm. Some, some, mm-hmm. cool, some cool people you, you never know who you're going to school with, yeah. who they're going to become. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Or and, not. Yeah. Now, so your dad was in the Marines mm-hmm. and then in the state police, did you say? He was. He was. So he's one of these real disciplinary uh, oh, guys. Yeah. yeah. He, he always kept his... His Spartan calm, <laughs> keep it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My friends used to call him the Admiral. Uh-huh. You know, he didn't. He didn't smile. He was, he was a quiet guy. You mm-hmm. know, he was nice. He was nice, but serious to guy. look at him, he was serious. Yeah, he was about his business. Yeah, you know, and he loved his family, and he loved his job. He loved his work. Did, did he retire from the state police, or yeah, he did. And it's a funny story about that. He retired, but he didn't tell my mother. So she called me one day, <laughs> and you know, she asked him. She said, "You know, are you going to work today?" He's like, "No, no, not today." She's like, okay, all right. Day two, you know, he's he's home again. Are you going to go to work today? Are you going to work today? He's like, no, no. You got the day off? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Three days in, my mother calls me, and she's like, you'll never believe what your father did. And I said, Matt, what do you do? She goes, he retired. I said, well, that's great. He's been on the, you know, he's been on the force for 30 some odd years. You know, he can retire. And she goes, well, I don't know what to do with him. He's just home all the time. And I said, put a fishing pole in his hand and kick him out of the house. So that's what she did. She got him a fishing pole. She kicked him out of the house. Get oh, out. That's funny. That's funny. And how old were you at that point? Oh, God. I had to be in my teens. Mm-hmm. So, guys, I think he, he was 55 when he retired. Yeah. Yeah, as soon no, as he could 55 sounds out. right for a, a state police. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. As soon as he got out, he could get out. He was 50. It might have been a little bit earlier, but as soon as he could retire he did oh well those jobs they take they just oh, suck the life out of you and oh, yeah. I, I can't blame him one bit for wanting to get out now you had you said you had siblings who were your your brothers yeah i got two younger brothers james and ryan ryan being the youngest we're all five years apart my brother james he's in the middle mm-hmm. um and then myself i'm the eldest yep three boys yeah my brother my middle brother he's an emt amongst other things gig economy right now even yeah. an emt is not enough yeah and my younger brother, he works, uh, he's a truck driver, mm-hmm. amongst other things, too. He does some podcast work. He's a music producer, you know, 
Oh, cool. So he's in the arts in, in, in some form. Oh, yeah. No, nobody following in your footsteps in the theatrical world? Not in the theatrical world. Ryan, my youngest brother. in some way. Yeah, he, um, he kind of followed me there. I caught him how to, you know, because I've been a DJ for 23 years now. Yeah. And I taught him how to how to use a mixing board and how to put music together. He just took it and ran with it. He actually went to school for, you know, music production too at Buffalo uh, UB. Yep. You know, he did the the radio shows there, and he, he actually did pretty good. He still does a lot of productions and commercials and stuff like cool. that. But um. So, so what were your interests in school? Like in high school, you know, were you one of these guys who tried out for the shows and musicals and things like that? Or no, actually, I wasn't. I was on a, a strict path to the business world. You know, really? which is where my dad wanted me to go. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't. Uh, he didn't so much subscribe to this kind of wanton lifestyle of, <laughs> you know, theater. Okay, you're going to go to theater. So what are you going to do for school? Yeah, what, are what are you going to do, do for, for a life? real job? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, a yeah. real job. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a famous actor, Dad. <laughs> so I was actually in freshman year in high school. I was in my intro to occupations class, and two of my friends they they knew I could sing. So they came down to my, my intro to occupations class, yeah. and they they went to the teacher, and they said, uh, Greg needs to come down to the office. They need him in the office. And they said, oh, okay, they sent you? Yeah, yeah, they sent us to come get him. So I grabbed my book bag, <laughs> this, and, this and I left. This sounds phony right off the it's, top. It's a true story. So I, I walked down the hall. Her name was uh, Charlene Mancuso. Okay. They came down, and I'm walking down the hall. I go, is my parents here? And she goes, no, shut up, just follow me. <laughs> So we walked down to the chorus room, and Pat Smith, she was the chorus director, they set me down, and they pushed me in front of her, in front of a piano, and they said, sing. And I said, this is what you got me out of my class. I'm going to get in trouble. And Pat, she started playing chords. Do, 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 do. And she goes, well, you're here. Sing. So she made me sing, you know, um, some scales. And she goes, why aren't you in chorus? What are you in right now? And I said, well, I'm in intro to occupation. She's like, good, I can get you out of that. You're going to be in chorus, and you're going to be in concert chorale, and you're going to be in show choir. Oh, well, they find a talent. They've yeah. got to get that voice in there. And next day, I was out, and I was in, I was in chorus, and That's I was in amazing. show choir. Had this been plotted all along, like they knew you could sing, and they, saw, they said to her, oh, we've got somebody, and so they set up this big rigmarole to get you out of class. It must have scared the crap out of you, too, and they go, uh, we need you right now. Come on out. It absolutely I would have thought did. that my, you know, my, one of my parents was right. by a car or something. Yeah, I thought it was something. I was, I was curious that they came, and like you know, they didn't just call the room, mm-hmm. and I'm surprised my teacher <laughs> was fooled by this, too. But Miss Smith didn't know. Yeah. It was just her free period. Okay. And Charlotte and I forget the other girl's name. They came down and got me, and they just pushed me in front of her. And, and she was like... And it never acro- crossed your mind before that? No. Would no. You, but no. I, I, here's the thing. I did sing in the choir and uh, in church. Okay. So my grandfather was a pastor of our church for 34 years, and we, I was raised in the church, you know. So I came up doing that. I played guitar in the church, and I was choir director for a little bit. You so, had some performance background. Yeah, yeah there was yeah, that music. music, too. I mean, my mom played the piano, and she played the cello, and I played. I ended up playing five different instruments at one point, jack of, you know, master of none. Right, me too. I, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I tried everything. You play a little of this, a little of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I'd never done anything in school in school. Yeah, I did, you know, chorus in middle school, but everybody did. You know? So what would, I mean, it, it didn't sound like your dad really was, he wasn't encouraging you, but it doesn't sound like he was discouraging you because you didn't really have show any great interest in, in, in sure. performing. But, but 
So what kind of things did you did you have interest in in, in high school? You know, I, I played in a band. I had a punk band. I played guitar. You know, I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was going to 15 different directions at mm-hmm. once. But well, And my dad, he, he never really cared about any of it because I was going to business school. You know, college. That's where we're going to hit the gas. Yeah. And then I decided to go to college for theater. Oh, and yeah. he's like, well, what are you actually going to college for? <laughs> you can take that elective if you want. Yeah. That's not your major. No. no. Yeah. You got it. That was. <laughs> and that's where I met Kyle Liconti. No, so so the, where did you go to college then? Was it the N- NCCC? I went to NCCC yep. and I worked under Kyle, worked with um, Joe Schmidt, Arthur Taylor. But Kyle was really instrumental in, in getting me into the into the acting world around here. Had you gone in specifically for a theater sort of degree? Or was it just something that after you met Kyle, you sort of gravitate in that direction? Sure. I mean, I, that was the one thing that I had done through high school. I mean, once you know, I got in... I, I love the whole thing, all the musicals, yeah. all the theater. I got bit by the theater book. I don't know if anybody knows. Her name was Lona Geyser. I believe she's been Oh, married. I know Lona. Yeah, I did a show with she her. She was my English teacher in freshman year. No kidding. She was my uh, my English teacher, and we didn't have a drama club at Sweet Home. Okay. And she asked, and she it was her first year teaching there. She said, what's the drama club? We said, what's a drama club? We don't have one. And she goes, well, you do now. You do now. And we did um, A Midsummer Night's Dream. And she wow. cast me as Omron and Theseus. Ambitious. Let's start with Shakespeare. She went hard. Good. Lona Geyser. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's... I haven't seen Lona in 100 years. I did a show with her at the old Irish Classical on, in the Calumet. Yeah. But she was always very young looking. So that's what got you started in just having an interest in it. Yeah. So by senior year, you had said, I think I want to pursue this. I was hooked. So... Um, I didn't have the money, and I didn't, you know, have the scholarships to go because I, I really wanted to go to Syracuse because at the time they had a really good theater sure, sure. education program, mm-hmm. which is what I wanted to do. And I said, okay, I'll start at N Trip, yeah. and I'll get my gen eds done, and I'll start there and great, get that yeah, going. That's a great plan. So that was that was a plan. That's where I met Kyle, and um, you know, life kind of gets in the way. I never ended up going to go to Syracuse. You know, I just went there, and and a couple of years later, after I was done at N Trip, Kyle ended up calling me. Out of the blue. And she's like, I think I got a part for you. Are you still acting? <laughs> I said, I haven't done anything since college, but sure. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then um, she told me to meet Scott Barron. And I came oh, down. Oh, that's how that happened. Yeah, she set that whole thing up. And I got down. I met Scott. And she thought we had met before. And I was like, no. And he, I got down here. And he's like, I thought I knew you, too. I don't. I, here, read this. <laughs> Been well, a love then, affair ever well, since. well, then when did Louisiana? Well, there was Louisiana Backeye, and then there was the the JRT show, uh, the uh, Whipping Man, the Whipping Man, mm-hmm. right with uh, with Stan and, and yeah, Stan uh, Clemenko and um, uh, uh, D Perry. D Perry, yes, yes, yes. So was was that after you met Scott? And and did mm-hmm. I guess what I'm getting at is what was your first pro show then? Something from from Rolos Travel? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think it had to be 2010, 2011. It was Insidious. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, that was my yes. first foray into into um, the theater community here. Yeah, yeah, and then from and then from there, one thing led to another. You met other people and so on. Mm-hmm. Bob Waterhouse from yes did the uh, Louisiana Louisiana Buckeye at um yeah at a Red Thread Theater over on Fourteenth. They did it in Jim Bush's uh, yes. place. Yes, yeah, well, Jim, I miss Jim. <laughs> yeah. That was the only show I ever saw there. It's the only show I ever knew of. So now you meet all these different people. W- any other theaters that you work for that I've missed? Um, I've worked Red Thread and JRT, Jewish JRT, Rep. JRT, Jewish Rep. Um, I worked at Irish a couple times. Oh, w- weren't you in Stage Kiss? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stage Kiss. Yeah, I saw that. Yep. You were the, the director. Well, I you were the director. You played the, the role of 
the right. director. Yeah, I played the director. And the guy and, and, and Christine mm-hmm. Turturro. And Christine Turturro. Yeah. I uh, also played at. I did some stuff at Subversive over the years too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Kurt and all those all those gang over there. So this begs good. the question: What what do you do in your real life? Oh, I'm, I'm playing your father now. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you do in your real life, Greg? Sure. Well, I mean, for years it was kind of tough because I always wanted to do theater at night, and I always had like a cook's job. You know, I worked in restaurants for twenty some odd years, but right now I work at ECMC. Mm-hmm. I'm the patient experience advocate for food and nutrition. So okay, basically, you're have to explain that. Yeah, I'm uh, the complaint department for patients. <laughs> um, you know, the food here is not very good, Greg. Yep. One of those deals? Mm-hmm. And, and so you go room to room, or, or people call for you. They say, you know, we'll get the food and nutrition guy in here. Sure, they'll call if there's ever an issue. Nursing will call. I kind of play that liaison between the management downstairs in the kitchen and the nursing staff up on the floors. I'll work and make sure that they stay stocked up on the floors. I will just go and do rounds mm-hmm. and just go talk to patients. I try to talk to at least 50 patients a week, uh, 50 nurses a week, and just kind of interview, hey, how's everything going? How's the food? What could we do better? Is everything hot that's supposed to be hot? Everything cold supposed to be cold? Okay. And how did that come along? Was it because you had experience in the food industry? A little bit. I was, um, I was a manager. I mean, it seems to me like that's a, a job that takes some training some I would think yeah was, I don't know anything about nutrition I, I wouldn't know how to well I'm, I'm, I didn't know a whole lot either I mean yeah was I had on a, the job training a little bit yeah. as an OJT um, I was before this before last November I was the manager of the call center at Buffalo General and we fielded all the calls for children's and suburban and Buffalo General so anytime people wanted food they would call the the number on their menu and mm-hmm. order breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They would call my office and talk to me or seven or eight of my girls. We'd answer the phones. I see. So I did that for a few years, and then they needed some help over at ECMC, so they moved me over. That position became available, and I jumped on it. You know, I, because I was pretty much already doing that when I came over. I was kind of just helping out where I could, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I had a pretty extensive background um, in restaurants and restaurant management. So it kind of just fell in. Plus. Was that the Mets Culinary Management mm-hmm. uh, uh, gig before that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, same company, just different gig. I see. You know, I love talking to people, and it's it's really rewarding. I really like this one because there's been quite a few people that are, you know you change their experience in the hospital. No one wants to be there. No one's happy. Yeah. No one likes hospital food. But if you know, if I can make a little bit better, right? And you know, you, you know not to blow smoke, but I mean, you got this nice, friendly demeanor about you, <laughs> and they, and it, it's necessary. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it, because as you said, it, it, nobody wants to be there, and it's right. You, it's always for a bad reason that you're that you're in the hospital to begin with. So that's something that you do on a daily basis. That's your mm-hmm. that's your daytime. Do you have family, by the way? I mean, of your own? Well, it's just kind of me right now. My son. Isaiah. You have a son. That's, I, I do. I knew you had a son. I just... Mm-hmm. And how old is he? He's seven now. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. It goes fast, Greg. He's right. a big guy. My daughter was just born yesterday. She's 45 next month. <laughs> so <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know where it goes. I know. Uh, yeah, okay. So he's... Yeah. What's he into? He's uh, superheroes. Okay. <laughs> Getting on dad's nerves, asking way too many questions. <laughs> That I'm not qualified to answer. I, well, give him my number. I'm all, I, I, I've got comic books going way back. I'm into the MCU, the you know the Marvel and the DC characters. And yeah, so on. but oh, that's pretty cool. That, yeah, that's good. It's fun. It's it's fun teaching him things and kind of remembering my dad teaching me things. It's 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 surreal. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
I was teaching him a couple of years ago. I taught him how to fly a kite, and it, it almost pulled him away. Oh, really? <laughs> I think he was four, and I was teaching him how to run with the kite. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember and my hold dad on to the string sing. tightly. Whoa! Exactly. And I remember, oh, my God, I remember my dad doing this to me. And I was, I'm actually older than my dad was oh. when he was doing it, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, wow. And I called him. I was like, believe this? And he's like, yep, keep living. Yeah. <laughs> because he's right. It, what about yeah. right? one thing is that it just seems to happen all of a sudden. You go, wait a minute. All of a sudden, I'm in the dad position. Right. How the heck did that? How did happen? I get here? Yeah, that's what right. part of the game is this? I know, but, it, <laughs> but it's a natural thing that you just all of a sudden start. There must be just something about us that we want to pass on what what little <laughs> information we have. You know, I want my daughter to do this. I want her to know this. I want her to know that. You know, one funny little story. My mom, she she loved telling this story where um, I was I was really young. I was probably about five. And she was rushing to get me to school because she would take me to school before she had to go to work at the bank. So she's getting me ready. And I, I came to her and <laughs> she's rushing. And she goes, what do you need? And I had two socks on my hands. And I go, my, I don't, which foot? And she goes, their socks, they're both the same. You know, but to a five-year-old, you know, the shoes are different. It's, it's not a dumb question, no. So fast forward. Um, no. 25 years, probably, something like that. <laughs> and my son, <laughs> we're getting ready. And he comes and he's like, Dad, which foot? Oh my and I went, God. oh, my God. <laughs> we were late because I was laughing, not because he was oh, he was keeping us. And I called so my mother. Adorable, and she. She could not stop laughing. That's so precious. Because that's what you get. Good. Yeah, good. good. I'm glad. I'm glad. That makes me happy. <laughs> but your mother and father are both, yeah, they're both enjoying the fact that, see, see, yes. this is what you did to us, and now enjoy <laughs> it. It's just, it's, wow. I, well, all right, we were off on a tangent there, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I really, I don't know why, but it just, I had heard you talk about your son earlier in the in the rehearsal schedule or something, mm-hmm. and, and it just occurred to me that I... I'd just like to know what else is going on. So, just to go back a little bit, did, did was Kyle directing Insidious, or was Scott doing? It? Scott directed Insidious. Okay. Actually, no. Doug Schigner directed Insidious. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I really didn't know that at all. Yeah. And I wonder how many other people can tell the story about Kyle getting them started in, in, in a similar way. Probably and, plenty. And you weren't you weren't even pursuing theater at that point. I mean, you'd gone to NCCC, mm-hmm. but you weren't out pursuing auditioning in local theaters and stuff. She yeah. just called you out of the blue and yeah, said... Yeah, I was working at restaurants. Cool. And she uh, she didn't call me. She sent me an email. Yeah. Because she still had my email because, you know, we keep up every once in a while because she was awesome. She was awesome. Oh, yeah. She's a terrific lady. Yeah. yeah. It was her and who else did I keep up with? Jack Hunter. Oh, Jack. He was yeah. my history, uh, my theater history teacher. Yeah. And he's awesome, too. Another yeah. great guy. Another mm-hmm. great guy. I've worked with him a couple times. Just always a lot of fun. But, uh, you, you know, I, I, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I do want to... I want to talk about your role in in that freaking play, the, the Antipodes. Antipodes. I. Oh yeah. Yeah. You well, everybody had a monologue, but yours was interesting. <laughs> you, so you get the script because I read the, as you remember, I read the script oh, yeah. for, for you also with you also, and I remember walking away from that meeting at Scott's house saying, "Good luck to you people," <laughs> you know. I can't wait to see. And I honestly, I honestly just thought, where is this going? And then I just had the time of my life at that show. Yeah. I don't know why it just struck me as so funny and fascinating. And it just, it was so far out in left field. Mm -hmm. And I still enjoyed the heck out of it. So you're handed the script and it's got this 
How many pages were there? At least two pages, wasn't it? Uh, it was four and a half. Well, the whole thing was six pages. A six-page monologue. Yeah, it took about ten minutes to get through. Yeah. And it was a... a How do you even approach something like that? I, I had, I've i had similar experiences, but I, I want to know about yours. The the thing, I it, it was like a madman's fever dream. <laughs> it was. None of it made sense. I mean, it was just, you know, off the top of his head. The, the, what we literally had to do is uh, Steve Brakey was the stage manager, and I had my own rehearsal. And we just took it paragraph by paragraph, and we had our own rehearsal. It's uh-huh. like it's just me and you, yeah. We're running this thing and running this thing. So after one of those and a lot of a couple of sleepless nights, like I finally got it under me because it was, it wasn't, a, it's a story, but it was hard to go from one thought to the next because they were so drastically polar. Oh, absolutely. I was like, what are you talking? Right, about? there was like no connective tissue between one right. thought and the next, and and you know usually I say. I like monologues because, mm-hmm. number one, it, it's it's all about you, yeah. and oh, you don't have to depend on anybody else, and and they're actually easier to memorize than a play where you have a, a two two words here and then two more words and then two more words. Mm-hmm. It, it seems, but that just struck me as you know the impossible dream. You're climbing this mountain and you're not even sure where you're going. Right. I mean, there, there's cows and it's got, you know, it's <laughs> having babies out of its eye and it's got 6,000 heads and 15,000 arms. I'm like, what? Really? Well, yeah. What, and, and, what does this have to do? Yeah, and it's a wolf and a lizard and then they had a baby together and their brother and sister and Sky got it, all, all this weird stuff. And the, the most frustrating thing about that, after I did get it down yeah. and really got it in my bones, I talked to a couple of people after the show and they said, man, that monologue, you, uh, you make that up every night? <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't make that. I had to learn that damn thing. I know. <laughs> they, you, I, you, you couldn't even make up. You, you, <laughs> if, if they said, Greg, go out there and talk for five minutes, you couldn't make up crap like that that was so disparate and so unconnected and so bizarre. And so bizarre. So, and now thinking back on it, I'm wondering if part of my enjoyment of it was being an actor, watching other actors do stuff that I knew, and just enjoying mm-hmm. the way they had dealt with it, and the way he had. Sometimes I'm watching a show, and I'm not sure if I'm laughing at the characters' lines, or there's my buddy Greg, and I'm laughing at the, what he's doing with this, and, mm-hmm. and enjoying the process of how you create this out of out of nothing and whatever. It was. I could definitely agree with that sentiment because it was fun watching, you know, Hurley go through the and, and Marcinia go through and even, you know, Kristen Tripp Kelly like, yeah. and Cassie Gornowitz. And then know, Cassie has that big... She's right. got this huge long yeah. morning run and she's crying and we're all like, Jesus, where did this come from? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Have you ever had any desire to, to direct or do any... Any other things in theater? I eventually, I might want to direct. I hadn't really... You got to find a project that you go, oh, I I would love to direct. I I don't want to be in it, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's all old guys or it's all young guys or something. But when you find a project, that's when you start thinking that maybe... It really has to be something that you say, I think I can add something to this. I think I can do something with this. I have an idea Mm -hmm. for this. That's when you you feel like you might want to get into directing. Your feelings about that? Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. That's literally the feeling that I had back in 2001 when I started DJing. Yeah, um, I want to talk about that too, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I I was just out at the club with the girlfriend I was I had at the time, and you know some of the songs in the house community you you get to know them and you know what's coming. You know how they sound. I can hear it in my head, and I, I leaned over to her and I said, you know, 
this song he just played would be really good if he played this song next to it or if he played that over it and layered that. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she goes, well, why don't you do it? And I said, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not a DJ. And she goes, well, why not? Yeah. And I said, oh. So she bought me a couple records and she goes, here, start doing it. And I did. And here I am 23 years later playing around. Well, that's, that's what I wanted to ask about, how you, how you even got into that because it's another one of those things that takes some training. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, you're not just, you, you've got to have some, if nothing else, training on the board, mm -hmm. on the electronics of it. So did that just slowly build up from that moment that you learned on the, again, learning on the job? Yeah, it, it kind of did. I was, there was one pivotal night where um, his name was uh, my friend Rob Hoffman, DJ Podge. And I said, you know, I really want to learn how to do this. So he gave me two records that were pretty scratched up. And he said, okay, here's one, here's one. The point of this is to make them go the same speed. Mm -hmm. Do you know how to count it? Eight, 16, yeah. you know, 32, 64, 128, 256, good. So, you know, this button does this, this does this, this stops it, this stops it, go. And, and he walked listen, out of the room. You listen on the headphones and you... And you, and and you listen to the speaker at the same time, you try to make them go at the same time, and the rest is kind of up to you in the way that you want to build that. I mean, there's, there's general outline of how to do it and how to make it make sense. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you put your own flair on it, you put your own flavor on it, there's a hundred different ways to tell the same story, you know? Yeah. You know, you give 10 DJs 10 different tracks, they'll play it a hundred different ways. Where did this take place, by the way, where, where you were observing it? Uh, was it a friend, did you say, who, who was yeah, the yeah. DJ? Yeah, uh, His name was Rob Hoffman, him and my friend Adrian used to live above Octopus's Garden on okay. Elmwood. <laughs> to I give it. Put yeah. a date on it. Um, I think there's a tea shop there or something. We were just up in his apartment, hanging out, drinking a couple beers. And he's like, here you go. We're going to go in the other room. You you work on that. And that was my lesson. That was the only lesson I ever got. And it started with you giving advice to a different person. Mm -hmm. I was talking it, to my it, girlfriend. You, and she you was do like, this. You do it. <laughs> Wise ass. Or you, yeah, yeah. You think you're so smart? Go ahead. Exactly. Did mm -hmm. you discover that you had a pension for that, You know, you had... Some skills there? Yeah. We, Some natural, you know, we were, uh, picking me, the music and so on? Our whole family has always been kind of musically inclined from early age, you know, because I played the guitar and yeah. my brother played the bass and my other brother played the uh, the drums in our church. Well, there you go. So we got the music, you know, we I got the music in me. But um, it was a, <laughs> it's definitely a, a different... A different beast doing that and that kind of took over everything because it's you know it opens up a whole new world a whole new you know there were different genres and different music i'd never heard before mm -hmm. different sounds and i was like okay the only thing you know i i did have a mentor and he said you know once you start djing it's going to change the way you listen to music though because you know you can go out to a club now and you just enjoy it because you don't really know what you're listening to mm -hmm. once you start learning what's going on behind that you're going to hear the small intricacies. You're going to know when they mess up. You're going to know when they, oh. when they come in too slow. You're going to know when that's because you're going to be constantly judging and you're going to listen with that DJ ear. He was absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So it's a different thing. So you can never go back. Right. You know, you can't unhear it. Well, yeah. It's sort of like being in the theater. Exactly. Let's say you go see a play. Some of my friends are very critical. They go and they, they critique the lights or they critique the costumes. Mm -hmm. And I sit there, and most of the time, I'm sitting there going, Oh, that's cool. How'd they do that? <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, I, but but again, it is, you're pulled out of the story right. because you're distracted. Same thing you're talking about. You've, you've got to peek Instead behind of the curtain. Instead of just enjoying, right, right, you've got to peek behind the curtain. So what kinds of places have you, I assume sure. now, that you're actually uh, getting yourself out there and, and doing it for money for paid gigs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what are we talking about? 
Oh yeah, I've, big I've, clubs or, I've or played, private things. Or I what? played some big clubs. Um, the first world's largest '80s party. I played. I was the DJ for that. That was God years ago when they did that here. Um, I've played in Toronto all the way to Florida. No kidding. Yeah, I played up and down the East Coast. How I've, does one get a gig like that? I mean, I shouldn't say. Yeah. How, how do you get the well known enough that somebody from Toronto or somebody from anywhere out of town would say, "Get me Greg House." You got to. Um, you got to put face work in. The way to get booked at a club is to go to that club, be there. You know, you can slip, you can, you know, they get CDs all the time here. You'll listen to my mix, listen to my mix. But usually word of mouth um, showing up. If you can get your foot in the door to actually give a live demo and actually play music for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done that a couple times. And it's just like, it's kind of like the theater community here. You know, I only really did, uh, I think it's the auditions here with Oh, the tab auditions. Yeah, the tab auditions. I only did it one time, but then I did a show, and then some people seen me in that show. Right. That's and how then, it works. And then from there, you know, you know my work. Mm-hmm. Either like it or you don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the same you thing. You develop a reputation. Yeah, you do. And Good or bad. And, and right. that's why you always, you know, always tell young people, you know, put your best foot forward, especially if you get your first gig at the Irish. Don't be the jerk. You know, your first gig over here, don't be the guy who's demanding or whatever. Mm-hmm. People will remember that. They you will can be remember one that. of the best actors ever, but nobody wants to work with you. Exactly. You know, you got to be a team player here. And that's, so it works the same way as what you're saying. Oh, yeah. What you're yeah, saying. yeah. Then networking that. What, what's your DJ name? Twist. Twist, <laughs> which comes from, I got to ask. Uh, it was I'm just. Sure, it's not Chubby Checker because that's way, way. <laughs> You know, you're way too young for that. It was just kind of like a like a dance move that I did back at this, this bar called Clubby back in the day. And he said he looks all twisted up when he's dancing. And then the next time I came, they just started calling me that. <laughs> and then I needed a I needed a handle. Yeah. So I went by that. I tried to go back to just my name, Greg House, which is a great house name. Oh, it's a great name. And then, but everybody knows me by Twist, you mm-hmm. know. And that that notoriety is just it overshadows everything. And do you have a specialty? Like, is there something that, that uh, Twist is known for? I play house. They, they Some people say he's godfather of funk house in Buffalo. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't say that, but I play a funky house, left coast house, San Francisco house, uh, now, some Chicago. I, I gotta admit something to you. I read all about house music about five to ten years ago, and I've completely forgot what is the distinction of house music as opposed to other forms of things that you hear here at a nightclub. Sure. I mean, it's um, house music started back in the early 80s. I actually did a report on this in college. But it started back in the 80s um, when disco was kind of going underground. Mm-hmm. So they started still doing disco parties, but they were doing it in warehouses. Okay. So it was originally warehouse music. And then that just got shortened to house music. Oh. So it started in like, you know, warehouses and gay clubs, and it was really big with that. And so some of those DJs are still playing right now. You know, those guys have been doing it 30, 40 years. So it has some of its roots in disco? Mm-hmm. Some so of its roots in disco in, that, in, in Chicago. That, that beat? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so a lot of it's disco house, and if you listen to a lot of it, like, it's it's very similar. It's got a lot of samples from those old disco songs from the 70s. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing we get if we get uh, DJ mm-hmm. House or, or, or a Twist. Yeah, I'll let you know next time. I usually play one party at Buffalo River Works a year. Okay. During their Sunset Sundays. Okay. Every other, starting at Memorial Day and they go to Labor Day. Every other Sunday they do um, a patio party. I think we talked about this during the photo shoot. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also where we talked about that insane instrument, the, the, uh. 
the drums. What was that called again? The Rav Vast. Say that again. The Rav Vast. R-A-V-V-A-S-T. And where did that come from? Well, first of all, explain what it is. <laughs> because that was the first time I said to myself, i got to get this guy on the podcast <laughs> to talk about this. Because I say this all the time. People pretty much believe me. I, I learn so much from the, this podcast. There's sure. so much. And what I learn mostly is is how dumb I am. <laughs> how how disconnected I am from things. That house sure. thing came from when I did a show here, mm-hmm. and they were trying to do house music in as part of the uh, part of the show, the mm-hmm. undeniable sound of right now. So I did some research, and there was a guy I can't remember what his name was mm-hmm. who was famous for starting this whole trend. So I've forgotten more right. things. So tell me about first of all what this instrument is, and then where it came from, how you happen to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Rav Vast, it's kind of like, it's a, it's called a tongue drum. Uh, so it's it's two domes and they're they're welded together mm-hmm. and then they cut out tongues. So they, they cut out, you know, the corresponding shapes and each one is a different size and they're all tuned to a different note. There's nine around the outside and one in the middle. Okay. So unlike a steel drum that's this sort of concave, like a scoop, mm-hmm. this is a dome. Correct. And then, so take two steel drums and put one on top of the other one. Okay. And instead of hammering it in, where you you take the mallets and hit the top of it, mm-hmm. you flip it over and hit the outside. Oh, okay. So that would be a hand pan or a hang drum. Okay. In this case, there, it's not hammered into the note sounds. It's cut out. Mm-hmm. So that's the only difference there. The sustain is much longer. I think it's a prettier sound, and they're way cheaper. Um, <laughs> But I fell in love with it. I found it online. I was just scrolling through one day, and I seen a, U- I seen a YouTube video of this woman playing one in, I think she was in Bali. And it was just, she was sitting on the beach, sunset, and she's playing this thing. And I go, what the hell is that? It looked like a spaceship. And then I started doing some research on it, and I was like, I think this is going to be my new thing. Had you been searching for percussive instruments? I play a couple hand, I play like the Doombeck and um, the Jambe, you know, but... I hadn't been searching for that, but I'm always on the lookout for new instruments and new funky things. Yeah, you know something that's cool. Something where do you, that's not where do you here. play it? I play it in my. I usually play it in the house. I'll go to the park. I'll play it down by the water. And does it draw a crowd? Every time. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, you know, most of the people are like, because it's very calm and mellow, and mm-hmm. it's like it's it's soothing. And I, I I personally do it for myself to kind of calm my spirit and like kind of and meditate on yeah. on those those tones, but. People are just, they come by, they're like, that's beautiful, what the hell is that? You know, and stop and explain. And kids love it, which is funny. It's funny, one time I was at um, I was at Glen Falls, mm-hmm. and I was just sitting on the rock by the waterfall, paying it, and this girl walked up, she had about 13, 14 years old, she had a violin. She said, do you mind if I play with you? And I said, not at all. Oh, yeah, come on, we're in the key of D minor. interesting. And she came up and she started playing some of the saddest violin music with this drum, and people came by and they threw money in her... <laughs> thing and I'm never there for that you know and she played with me for about an hour she said okay I gotta go home and do my homework and she goes here and she starts splitting the money up and I said no we're not gonna split it and she goes well no no you were here too so I took a dollar uh-huh. and I gave her the rest okay. and, you know but it was just yeah did she ask what is that instrument because mm-hmm. you know even in your description of it I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. I if I would have seen a guy sitting by the side of the water playing it mm-hmm. my first reaction would have been what the hell is that and then I remember you just saying that you you would be interested in getting another one. Yeah. And my question then is, do they do different things, or is it just a different key? Is there something more unique about each one that 
like guitars. I've got five guitars. Mm -hmm. Why? Uh, why would you need more than one of these instruments except because it would be in a different key? That's about it. They don't really do anything. They're all the same size, same shape, just about. But my, but they all, you'll only get like nine notes. Some will repeat, you know, you'll get octaves different, you'll get a low D and a high D. So you don't get all the, all the notes in a scale. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. The nine notes are not, you know, it's not all uh, C, D, E, F, G. Mm -hmm. No, it's not all of them. Yeah. Or sharps or flats or anything like that. Exactly. So what I was doing is I, I wanted, I like the idea of busking, you know, sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. So I wanted to get three in the same key so I could play them all together. Oh. I'm almost there. I got two. But I have four of them, and a couple are in different keys that don't really go together when you play them. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I seen a video of a guy, who, he's got a bunch of them, and he's playing all of them. And I'm like, he's got everything. So we can really open up, you know, the musicality of them. If you have, you know, this would be nice if I had one more note, if I had this note I could play with. Oh. Well, I do. It's just on that one over there. Oh, So I can okay. play them both at the same time. And when you look them up to, to buy one, mm -hmm. can you... How do you... They'll tell you. It's on the website. These, which, are, these are the notes that are included? These yep. nine... Yeah, the website's really nice. It'll tell you what the notes are. Um, there's a little... It'll pull a little diagram of one up, and you can click on each note to hear what it sounds like. Yes. So you can kind of play it like that. And also, you know, they'll you can go through, like, this one will go with this one, and this mm -hmm. one will go with this one. And they kind of have that Venn diagram of which ones go with which ones. So if you want to buy multiple ones, you know, you can actually play them, and their keys will, will go together. And if I look this up on YouTube, will mm -hmm. I be able to find a sample of the music? Because mm -hmm. I might just insert just a little sample of it. Because people are going to be going, what are they talking about? And they can't even imagine what it sounds like. But I, I might just insert a little bit of it just so sure. people can... I can send you a video, too, of me playing. Uh, oh, that'd be even better. Yeah. So to, to wrap this up, I, I just do you have a bucket list of, of roles you'd like to play, of things that you've thought about, of things that, that the theatrical experiences that you'd like to experience? Not a whole lot of the one that I do want to play, I've always wanted to play, is Aaron from Titus Andronicus. Oh. I want to play that. I want to play it bad. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I can see that. That's the only role that I really... Shakespeare's bloodiest... Craziest. Yes. Did you see the movie? The movie version of yes. that. Yes, with uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins. Titus. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really good. Yeah, I'd love to play that. I like playing non-traditional roles, which are great. I, I got that idea when I we were in high school and I played. We did what? Bye Bye Birdie. Mm -hmm. Or no, we played West Side Story, and I played Riff. Oh. And I was one of two black guys in the show. Hmm. And there was a little bit of like quiet backlash from some of the teachers in the PTA, and they said, "Okay, well, you got a black kid, and he's the leader of a white Irish gang. How does that work?" <laughs> and Pat Smith, my teacher, she's like, "It works because what? Who cares? He's the best. He's he's for the part." Yeah, yeah. And she, you know, she kind of sat me down. I, I kind of have. I was apprehensive about it too. I'm like, "Should I be a shark? Maybe that'll work." And she's like, "Why? Because you're what? Your skin tone?" She goes, "That's the part for you. That's the part you got to play." She goes, "Don't." 
don't let that stop you. Well, well there's life. nothing in the story that would pre- preclude you doing that, right? Not really. I mean, no. the head of an Irish gang, but who cares? Yeah. Yeah. And if, I was if, like, okay. Yeah. Is that the kind of thing that you think about? That kind of colorblind casting, but it's not really colorblind, but mm-hmm. people say, I don't see color, but they do. I mean, is, it, it has to be. Yeah, it I mean, has to be in your mind. It's it, it is. Um, there's some roles that like I, I know I've gotten called for just because it called for an African American, of course, and they ran out, so they called me. Yeah, and it's like uh, okay, I, I see what this is. You got to pay me more. Yeah, right? you know, generally I won't do it, but then I then again I love like you know some roles that are classically played by you know Caucasian or played by this. And they call me just because they want my talent. Right. Like, we can work around the rest of it. We'll just break down those walls. You and know? in a way, that's even more complimentary. Exactly. You know? And that I'll, I'll really go for. Okay. It's like right. in my case, I, I'm the old white guy. <laughs> you know? Well, how many old white guy actors do we have in Buffalo? Well, not that many anymore. So <laughs> so it's more complimentary that they would pick you yeah. and say, you know, we don't care about it. And, and especially if the color really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not like you're you know you're playing the the father of three little redheaded Irish girls, right. or something like that. It, it, that's when you really have to stretch the imagination. But for them to say, no, we just want you because you're a talent we want to see on our stage, right? Yeah, it's like in the the Antipodes and like other plays that I've mm-hmm. seen you in, but like the MF or with the hat, yeah. I mean that that God, that was a good show, Ralph D. I love that part. Yeah, Ralph, that's right, great show. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, if you could play a role that, that just because it was you, mm-hmm. not because it... Well, it calls for an African-American, so uh, we went through our list of three African-American guys we know. Right. You know, and we're down to you now because the other two are busy. That's got to be a... Yeah, mm-hmm. that's got to be a... That's tough. There's been a couple of those calls over the years. Not too many, you know, because mm-hmm. I kind of put my foot down about that. Like, no, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. You know, but um, there's been an overwhelming more calls just for the talent yep. which is which is always awesome right stage kiss for example mm-hmm. no reason why that couldn't be african no reason why they couldn't be uh, you know uh, they could be anything uh, right i think in the other productions i've seen it it's a woman mm-hmm. who's the director yeah so which is it's fantastic you can go any way you want with it yeah that's nice okay i've got to ask you the one the last question which is my off-road question which is if you had taken a different road where would you be what would you be doing instead of this Instead of working at the hospital, instead of doing theater, what would you be? You'd be Greg Howes the what? Mm, I'd probably be screen acting. I would have gone to Chicago years ago. I planned on moving to Chicago. Really? And then things got in the way, and then I was going to move to Austin, Texas, before their bubble burst. Just because it was a hotbed of artistic... Yeah, that, and I was following... Um, I was going to go with my, my girlfriend at the time, fiance, my son's mother. Yes, before we had our son. I see. So now my son's here, so he's got to get a little bit older, so I, I, I'm kind of anchored to Buffalo yeah. right now. Yeah. So film acting was something that you it was, appealed to you? Mm-hmm. And I think, it, you know, a larger market like that, you know, Chicago, I know some people that went to Chicago, and they, they did great, and then they, from Chicago they ended up moving to L.A., mm-hmm. and then doing it that way. I never really wanted to new, go to New York. Yeah. Fun to visit. I, I don't want to live there. But, um, yeah, I'd probably be... So your poor dad is still waiting for you to do something in business, <laughs> and it's just not appealing to you. Well, he's, he's you know what, he was, um, <laughs> we actually ended up losing him last year. I was just going to ask, is he still yeah. with us? He's, he's not. He ended up passing on last year, and it's okay. December 21st, 20th, excuse me. But 
he was proud of what I did because I actually started making some money and taking care of myself and buying a house and like getting a car. And he's like, okay, well, you're not just some starving actor Mm -hmm. living in a one bedroom eating ramen noodles. (laughs) Like, you found a good work life balance with this thing. Nice. You know, so, and he, and it also took him to come see me do a show. And he's like, Okay. Okay, yeah. This is what you do. You got you know? some chops, yeah. Yeah. And then he's seen me DJ. Oh, wonderful. He came, the first time he seen me DJ, it was 30, it was my 30th birthday. He came out to see me DJ, and the crowd was going crazy, and he was like, oh. <laughs> okay. He's like, that's that's my boy up I there. I can see All the right. appeal of this, and that's my boy. <laughs> there he is. That's wow. him. And he's like, okay. And after that, he left me alone about it. Like, oh, you got to go DJ? All right. There you go. Oh. I'll see you, son. Just make sure to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. so, don't forget you have a real job. So right. get, yeah. But it, I guess what I, my point was, you never had in the back of your mind, you know, I, I think I might have liked to sell real estate. Or I might like to <laughs> sell insurance or something to get into the business world. Is never, never that. It was in your dad's mind, probably. Mm-hmm. But it was never there for you. It was always art something. Always the arts. You know, yeah. whether music it was or painting theater. or music or, or, uh, or theater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now to go back, the last, absolutely the last question. Uh-huh. Long-term plans, what do you have coming up? Uh, long-term plans, well, I just did buy a house. Or short-term. Yeah. <laughs> but but I just plan on doing, fixing up my house a little bit. It was pretty much turnkey, but now that I'm in it, there's some things. You always find things. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't like that, I don't the like that. The joys of home works. ownership are never ending. I am just now learning this. <laughs> and when I say the word joy, that's <laughs> a euphemism for right. the hell of of. <laughs> Home ownership. Okay, so that's in, in the near and for and perpetual future. Uh, right. Uh, other shows coming up? Yes, there will be a show next year. I'm not Did sure if I'm allowed to Maybe say. Maybe you're not allowed to yet. Yeah, yeah I do have another show. It, it's probably going to be at RLTP, though. Mm-hmm. Might be, I hear there's a couple of things working working for next season. Okay, that's cool. But I, that's all the information I know yet. Mm-hmm. And your work at the hospital, it is that's open-ended? You're, you're just going to... Stay there as long as they'll have you. Rocket till the wheels fall off. Yeah. Is there room for advancement? There is. Um, the position that I have, it's kind of, I when I first got it, I kind of asked them, you know, is there someone else that's doing this at a different hospital system that I can reach out for best practices? Long story short, they're like, with our company, you are that person. So <laughs> the other hospitals are going to call you. You are writing the syllabus. You are writing this job. Wow. So they don't really, I'm the only one that has this position because it was kind of a pilot program. The other girl quit. I took it over and ran with it. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know. And uh, you like it, and you feel useful, and you feel valued. I love it. That's great. I love it. And um, hopefully, you yeah, know, when I was, I was talking to them, I'd like to take it bigger. So not just do it at ECMC, start adding to the systems team and go to different hospitals. Yes. And talk to their teams about doing it. Are they in the Kaleida system? Mm-hmm. So it could be a broader exactly yeah. so it would be all the hospitals or just about all the hospitals at least in the Kaleida system and ECMC so four or five different facilities I'd be rotating around and then move out from there mm. sounds good Greg House. thanks so much for doing this thank you for having me and uh, somehow I'll be able to edit it together so it sounds like we're not as dumb as I sound <laughs> Yes, of course I know winter's coming soon. That's not the point. It's it's just beautiful right now in Buffalo. Greg Howes, thanks so much for joining me here. And before that, Pete Johnson talking about the bridge program. 
Check it out if you get a chance. Next episode on Halloween Day, we have a special Halloween treat for you. So make sure you tune in then here on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Pete Pomisano.